Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. We appreciate your patience. We've had some issues with the internet. We've had some issues with schedule. And hey, I got to spend uh, last night in the hospital with my son, who's just fine. But when your four-year-old cuts his forehead and it bleeds and bleeds, uh, you don't do the Frogcast. So we are going to talk a lot about TCU football tonight. We are going to talk a lot about... Where we're at halfway through the season, we're going to kind of take a pulse of, of where the program sits halfway through. We're sitting there at 3-3. Three and three. We'll talk some recruiting. And oh, by the way, we have a top 10 team in the Oklahoma Sooners, three-time defending Big 12 champions, coming to Fort Worth this Saturday. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, Daniel, you and I were chatting before we hit record here. Uh, how you doing, man? <laughs> Oh, I've been better. Um, I I don't know what to do. It's like, like we were saying, the 2016 team, uh, 2016 year, the team, we could see what was wrong. You knew it would, you know, it is what it is or was what it was. This time, I don't know what's going on because you look at, I mean, good win over Iowa State. I'm really surprised after watching Iowa State the other night that we were able to pull that off because they look pretty darn solid uh, against a good West Virginia team, or so we thought. Uh, And then the Ohio State performance. Okay, take those two and compare it to not Southern or SMU. Those, Those aren't really good barometers for anything, but the the you know Texas and then Tech and it just what in the world is going on? I don't know. Does anybody? Because uh, I haven't gotten an answer. All we're getting is uh, fighting. Like I don't know. Like trying to pick the right color carpet in a Baptist church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I think. I think this is the hardest team to read. This is the hardest season to. Diagnose. Here we are. You know the frogs are three and three. We're halfway through the season, and I don't even know what this team is. And I don't mean that as a derogatory statement. We've seen the highs of what they're able to do to have a, a lead, a, a more than a one touchdown lead over Ohio State in the third quarter. A team that I think we all know is is, is essentially going to the playoff. And then what you saw in you know against Texas again, what you saw against Texas Tech. I mean, I can. I can almost deal with that Texas loss as, as much as it as much as we kind of gave that game away with some terrible turnovers. But what happened on the field Thursday night against Texas Tech? I don't, I don't even know how you assess it. But my frustration level not not at people, not at teenagers, not at twenty year olds playing football, not at the coaching staff, but just what what is this team? It is so hard to read it right now. And that, that's just kind of my unfiltered assessment where we are. I'm probably going to have a little hotter take as we get into the show. But, Jeremy, what's your guttural response of where we're sitting at at 3-3 three and three, halfway through this season? I'm kind of surprised by it. Uh, obviously, when you start the season with pretty good win over Southern, pretty decent win over SMU, and you play Ohio State tough, I, I think what, what the problem with everything is is that the Ohio State game really spoiled um, not only the media, but the fans, and and we immediately all projected TCU to be, be you know, to be a, a pretty darn good football team. And um, you know, four weeks afterwards, we're we're all, or three weeks afterwards, we're looking back, and and it's obviously that we uh, overhyped the the frogs a little bit. 
uh, the the offense, there's no there, there's no good answer for it. I mean, it could be uh, the execution. You have a new line. You have a new quarterback. Turnovers, obviously, the turnovers are you're you're not going to win ball games with this many turn. You're not going to win many ball games when you're third to last in the country and and turnover margin at negative nine, which I don't think there's ever been a Gary Patterson team that's, that's been like that, but it's, it's crazy. Uh, Looking back, like Daniel said, the Iowa state game was pretty impressive. And, and, and what's funny is that even after that game, TCU fans were kind of like, Oh, we won, but we still suck. And now two weeks later, watching Iowa state, they scored 48, against Oklahoma State, which we all know Oklahoma State's not doing too well, but that's that's pretty good to go in Stillwater and score 48. And then they win last week against West Virginia, and all of a sudden Iowa State looks a whole lot better than what we thought three weeks ago or two weeks ago when TCU beat them. But it's, 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 there's, no, there's no good answer for that question, Jeff, to be honest. I mean, it's just it's crazy. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely not what I expected. You know, I think Matt Campbell just goes into the frat house down on Frat Row in, in Ames and says, "Does anybody here play high school quarterback? Because you're you're going to start next week against a really good team, and by week two, I think you'll beat Oklahoma, or you'll beat TCU, or you'll beat West Virginia, or Oklahoma State. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to chase a rabbit here, but my goodness, if if Matt Campbell can coach, Matt Campbell can coach. And it might have been, w- been a different game if Brock Purdy's playing in Fort Worth instead of Zeb Nolan. I agree. I agree." You know, and so I, I, I think we set where this season is in contract. Just these last two games are, are – you've summed it up pretty well there, Jeremy. I don't know anybody that's that was, um, you know, pumping their fist after the Frogs beat Iowa State on a last-second field goal from Jonathan Song. I think everybody just had a sigh of relief like it was the 2016 Kansas game when, yeah. in reality, that was, that was probably going to be a pretty good win, probably – could end up putting the frogs in a spot where they get a better bowl than Iowa State because they were able to grind that game out. That said, it's still a game where the frogs scored 17 points, and then the next game, the you know the week and a half later against Texas Tech on a Thursday night that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet, frogs put up 14 points against Tech. I have never heard the word frog, you know, Texas Tech and quality defense in the same sentence since uh, you know I don't know. Uh, you know, when Dykes was the coach. <laughs> and so the Frogs' inability to get into the end zone, inability to crack 20 points since they played Ohio State. They have scored 16, they have scored 17, they have scored 14 in the last three weeks. There's no way that anybody objectively can look at the offense and say, I think things are going well. And I want to say what Daniel said, that, you know, in 16, you at least felt like this team has some weapons. We know we have some recruits coming in that are going to be able to make an instant impact like Rager. You saw later down the road, Darius Anderson. You can kind of set that season in context in terms of a rebuild, a quarterback that wasn't uh, revolutionary but was going to be able to maybe handle the the reins a little bit better in his, next, in his last season in Kenny Hill. I, you know, I don't want to blow the horn of just crisis, but at the same time, I'm less optimistic and more critical than I was probably the last time we spoke, which was, you know, after that Iowa State game, and probably, you know, probably has come down even more since after that Texas game. So let's go ahead and just kind of dive headlong into the Texas Tech game. I'd say let's talk about the highs, but I don't know what that is other than the Frogs held, uh, you know, Texas Tech to 17 points. Uh, I, I had like multiple oh crap moments, and that's that's kind of a very polite way of what I was really saying. But you know wh- what happened in the Tech game, Jeremy, that you think is uh, kind of the root of the loss? 
Well, the the defense again played exceptional. I mean, this what was it seven three at halftime? Is that what yes. the score was? <clears throat> they they held Texas Tech to forty yards passing at half, and you're talking about the team that was averaging well over four hundred yards of almost or over five hundred yards a game coming into the contest, and the de- the defense just kept playing lots out, lots out, but. This reminds me so much of that damn 2013 season where they they play so well on defense and then they but they have to hold opponents to 20 or less to even get a win and it and they they do so well then the offense finally gets something going and then here they have the lead and then the defense gives up something and and I know the knee jerk fans were like oh the defense should have should have stopped them there it, it's getting to the point now where it, every week, it's it. The game has to be won by the defense. The offense really isn't carrying their weight, and I, and I had a ton of optimism with the football team, even after the Ohio State loss, which was probably at an all-time high after that loss. If you could say you have optimism, optimism after a loss, even after the Texas loss, I looked back and and I thought, you know what, they 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 made some mistakes, but they they could have won that game. It, they were leading in third quarter; they could have won the game. Iowa State was a hard fought win. Anytime you can win over Iowa state, I don't care if it's 10 to nine, that's a good win. But the Texas tech game was the one game that going into it, I figured, okay, this is the team right here. They're dead last in defense in the big 12. Everyone and their grandmas scores points against tech. Everyone moves the ball at will up and down the field against Texas tech. And to see TCU struggle on offense, the way they did, and I'm looking at the rest of the schedule, I, I can't gain optimism right now. And anyone that gains optimism after watching that tech, I'm happy for you. I mean, you have a ton of optimism, more than me. Uh, I'm looking at it objectively uh, for the purple shaded guys that have the purple tinted sunglasses on. They're your team. That's that's fine. You can root for them as much as you want and think they're going to come out winning uh, by 50 points, that's fine. But I, I, I just don't honestly see how anyone can can look at that Texas Tech game and and think that they're going to have a, a a ton of success. But offensively, man, I, I just they they move the ball, then you throw an interception because Artavius Lynn drops it. Then you move the ball again. You have so, a, well, can we just can we just acknowledge that play? <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah. Then you have another one. You're going inside. You're you're, you're having a chance. No, no, to get no. A I got to stop you. As my son would say, "What were you thinking?" Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. That was a bad play. Okay. I mean that that's that's a play that obviously could have led to some points. Then you had Shaywo who fumbled, which it's it's just crazy, man. It's everyone's everyone's kind of just I don't know. It's a disease right now. The turnovers are. But that was another possession where they were they were going inside and having a chance to score. But I, I, defense to me, and someone tweeted this. Jeremiah told me about it. Someone tweeted that TCU has an an 11-win defense and a four-win offense. And that basically hits the nail on the head. I mean, it's just – and you want to call it a new offensive line, a new quarterback – uh, execution, turnovers, play calling, whatever you want to blame it on, it's it, it's got to get it's got to get fixed. It's it's got to get better. I mean, it can't 
the only way it could get any worse is if they start scoring one touchdown per game, which could happen. But hey, 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 don't jinx this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but no, I mean, just just honestly, that that the Texas Tech game was the one game where I figured they would rot the ship and things would be turned around the corner. But and you're talking about a four and two team, two and one in Big Twelve conference play that still has a realistic chance at going out and playing for the Big Twelve title. Now, I still don't think any team in the Big 12 is going to go undefeated, but it, man, what a demoralizing loss that was on Thursday. I just, I don't think anyone, uh, there was a few people, I mean, the, the few people that said, hey, I, I don't trust the, the offense. At that point, I was still trusting the offense to get it done. They, they, they did enough against Iowa State. They could do it against Texas Tech, but right now I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm as they as, as they do in the crystal ball picks on 24/7. I'm foggy right now with where this team's headed. See the the 11 win defense in the four win offense in the Big Ten will make you Michigan State, but you do that in the Big 12 and you're, you're going four and eight. Yeah. You know I don't think the frogs are going to go four and eight, but that is that is what happens in the Big 12. You are you can be a strong defensive team, but if you are still not built to get that ball into the end zone and to make the most of the and stretch the field and make the most of those offensive opportunities, uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna lose you're gonna lose to Texas Tech 17-14 at home. You are gonna fall to one and three at home against Texas Tech in the Big 12. Let that sink in. The only win that TCU has at home against Texas Tech since they joined the Big 12 was was the infamous route where they ran out of fireworks. That's the only win. Um, I, I wish we could have taken some of those points and spread them out over the 2012 and the 2016 and 2018 game. But th- this felt like that 2016 game at home. That's what this felt like, where you just knew – this team is not. Uh, this team is not going to win eight, nine games. That was. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, a, a couple of things that really were uh, were frustrating watching that game. Uh, you know, you mentioned turnovers. I mean, I know I sound like a broken record, and I'm not saying anything anybody else hasn't said. But Bill Connolly, who does uh, podcast ain't to play nobody, just does a serious uh, deep dive on analytics and does a pretty good thing. What he calls S and P plus assessment, where you're able to look at number, look at their team inside of the numbers. And he, his argument is that in the end, turnovers essentially even out. Maybe not in one season, but over a period of time, that uh, turnovers are, are essentially a, a jump ball, and you're going to get about fifty percent. You're going to lose fifty percent. And I kind of had that in my mind going into the Tech game. But my goodness, he was not wrong in in that statistical analysis because the turnovers continue to rack up. And it seems as if whoever we're playing, when we turn the ball over, they immediately take it down the field and do something to hurt us, whether it is kick a late late field goal or put the ball right into the end zone or often, you know, just take the ball and two plays later they're in the end zone. We are we are turning the ball over, and our opponents are making the most of that. And when, that's the equivalent of playing behind the sticks. It just there's nothing good that comes from that. So I think the turnovers are an issue. And I want I want to ask you about this, Jeremy, because you yeah. you had the courage to bring it up against Coach Pat with with Coach Patterson. Uh, play calling. I don't know. I don't know if play calling is an issue, but I know that what's happening on the plays that are being called is an issue. So tell us a little bit. You were at the presser today. You brought up this issue to Coach Patterson. Share us. Share with us a little bit about what you asked him, what he said, and what your response to us and listeners would be about what he said. Well, he was talking about the. Uh, someone had asked him about what they thought of uh, what he thought of Sean's performance against Texas Tech and, and the offensive line because that's been the 
uh, along with turnovers. That's been the the two biggest issues. And and obviously he said we scored 14 points, so not well. And so it just got me to the point where I wanted to ask the question because I know it's been hammered on our board and it kind of slap in the face to some people thinking that some of the media is scared to ask Coach Pete questions. We're not afraid to ask. We know what kind of answer we're going to get. And he gave me the answer that I knew he was going to give me today. He's not going to tell us um, specifically what his thoughts are on play calling, but he did mention that he he's not going to say anything about the play calling. That's it, it, He's not going to tell me that or any other media person that out, out in public record, but he is going to have – those discussions. And I think he has had those discussions. I think there's um, obviously been, if you look last week, they moved Jalen Rager a little bit. Uh, they moved him from outside, moved him to the slot a little bit, uh, played Turpin more in the slot. You had uh, uh, Jalen Austin out, which gave Trevante Hots more playing time. But it's, it's one of those deals where to me personally, I, I look at the play calling and yes, sometimes you, think, okay, well, I probably wouldn't have done that there. But overall, I think play calling is probably last on the list of things that is going wrong with the offense right now. Uh, Number one, like I said earlier, and everyone has to agree, Sonny Cumbie is not the one out there stripping the football out of TCU's running back's hands. He's not the one out there telling Sean, hey, throw up this prayer. And by the way, don't set your feet when you throw it. He's not telling those guys to do those things, okay? Yeah, it, it, for some people, it does doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you put a hundred and sixty pound guy out there to try to block the edge on a quick pass. But you know what? That's the least of their worries right now. It, it for me, it's turnovers. It's the offensive line play. When you have a, a an offensive line that hasn't been able to get a two hundred yard rushing game since Ohio State, that's a red flag. If you look at their offensive line that they ran out there the last two weeks. They've had one returning starter. That's Lucas Niang. Okay. Without Cordell, I don't think people realized how good Cordell was last year. Everyone kind of made fun. Oh, he's the weak link. Well, Cordell was a weak link among a very strong offensive line. And now since he's gone, it's become clearly obvious how much he matters to that offensive line. And, and, and Coach P even said it. After the game on Thursday, I asked him specifically, how how bad does his loss hurt this offensive line? And he says, it's it's a bad loss. And so you don't have the offensive line. You have Sean that's making some not some ill-advised decisions. The, the one play that I, that I didn't mention on my snap judgments that I think was important to me uh, late in the game when he was throwing that back shoulder fade to Terp and – it, it to me, it seemed like he read that pre-snap and he was going to throw that ball no matter what. It's the one where Terp kept running downfield and the ball wasn't even close. But what I what I also noticed on that play, and you can go back and watch that last drive of the game, watch Tay Barber and how wide open he is. He's wide open from the left slot position, about six or seven yards downfield. Closest defender from Tech is about two to three yards away, maybe maybe even further. That's easy. That's a that's a pitch and catch play, and that's the kind of plays that Sean has to understand and, and make um, as he progresses as a quarterback. The uh, the other thing you got the turnovers, offensive line, Sean, play calling to me. You can't call plays if your offensive line's not blocking. If you can't run the football, good luck. 
find me a, find me a team that just just has a successful uh, quarterback that doesn't get any blocking uh, in the run game that that could just light up the scoreboard. I mean, every every successful quarterback has to have some semblance of a, of a strong running game. And if you're a run and shoot team that doesn't rely on rely on uh, the run game much, you probably have about a a four year starter at quarterback, or you have a a pretty experienced guy that can throw the football all over the field that that doesn't have problems going through his progressions. And right now, that's what you got with TCU. Sean has problems going through his progressions. And like I said on my snap judgments, you got to take the ups with the downs with Sean right now. But to make this uh, answer even longer, but (laughs) I'm right. I'm I'm talking up here like Coach P on the podium. But, yeah, I I think the question needed to be asked. I wanted to do it on behalf of the the TCU people because I know it's clearly been frustrating for some of those guys. But at the same time, I hope you understand where we're coming from. It's not that we're not willing to ask those type of questions. We just know what type of answers we're going to receive. But I think the answer uh, is kind of hidden in there. It looks like he has talked to Sonny. He's not going to tell us what he's talked about, if he's satisfied or not. But if you look at the last quote I put in there on the on the, on the the message board, we have to get better. So those discussions have happened. I mean, it's it's uh, just know that it's happening. That's, that's like when my wife asks me if I want Chinese buffet. She doesn't even ask because she knows the answer. Yes, we, we, you know what answer you're going to get when you ask certain yeah. questions. So, But I really appreciate you asking that question. You know, one of the questions I had from this game, not, ju- not simply from being a message board fan, not simply from being an armchair quarterback, but from uh, listening to Coach Patterson's own quotes. Um, Daniel, I want to hit you with this. How shocked were you? that Michael Collins did not play at all in this game. Not just that he didn't come in in the third quarter, but that he saw there was zero intentionality to him seeing the field. After Coach Patterson had said, if Sean's out, I'm going to be really mad because I've wanted quarterback rotation some. How surprised were you that in this in this game, in this uh, game that was there for the taking, that they didn't roll out Michael Collins? I think I was most surprised that Sean was in at all because it made it sound like, yeah, he made, well, first it sounded like uh, the news coming out, you know, the week prior was that Sean was banged up bad and probably won't play. So, okay. And then it was kind of like, well, he's pretty bad and he might play. And then it came down to, he's going to play, but he won't start. And then we get down to the game day and he starts. And I see Michael Collins, doing some warm-up passes, but that's it. And um, so I don't know. It's like, was he really hurt? Are they trying to mess with Kingsbury's head and, um, you know, fake him out thinking, oh, they're going to, they got a whole new guy to study for that. They've got no film on hardly, you know, or was he not hurt or was he actually hurt, but somehow got really better. I, I don't know. I don't have a clue what's going on this year. It's, it's just, it's, I don't know. I wanted to see him because what in the world's it going to hurt at this point? Um, and unless he's actually just truly worse than Sean Robinson. You know, I felt that same way. I thought we, we need to see Michael Collins because it seems as if Coach Patterson had said we need to see Co- uh, Michael Collins. So I figured that it, w- it was going to happen. And then all of that that you described, it was kind of like a, a descending description of what was wrong. He's out. 
unaffiliated, you know, like everybody's assumption was he's out or he's recovering a little quicker and he, he might be available. And then it goes to, well, he's going to play, but we just don't know how much. And then you, you of course he trots out there and, and plays the entire game at quarterback in some ways. Um, make sure I get this right. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy. Um, I've, I've forgotten and remembered so many people that have played in the last 20 years. I felt like 2013 Oklahoma State, Tyler Matthews. Why don't we just go ahead and put Tyler Matthews in? He can't be any worse than Trevon Boykin uh, <laughs> goes in. First thing he does is turn the Bumble. ball over. I don't yeah. know if anybody else remembers that. Yes. But I, I remember I remember going in and just fumbling the ball right away. Yeah. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe, maybe something like that haunts, <laughs> haunts everybody. I know Sonny wasn't here year for that, but that was the first thought I had of when I said to myself, what's the worst that can happen? Well, we saw what was the worst back, back yeah. then. But I, I figured Michael Collins would be in there with an intentionality to the rotation at the request of the head coach because it's not every day. Cause this was not a shot at Sonny Cumbie when, when Coach Patterson said that, but it was a statement of I've wanted him to play more and he hasn't played more. And if Sean Robinson is hurt, I'm frustrated because he hasn't been in there. Something happened. Some wires got crossed. I want to know what happened between that statement in the end of the Iowa State game to ten days later, or you know, tw- you know, almost two weeks later against Texas Tech, where Collins doesn't see the field at all. That is a head scratcher to me, and I don't, I don't quite know what to do with that because we know you you need two quarterbacks. You know, Sean is 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 banged up basically since his senior year. It, it basically since that title game in 2016. I remember that shot he took off the hip. And then, you know, what? I think you were the one that told me, Jeremy, he wasn't available in the 2017 Big 12 title game because he was still banged up. So uh, from the tech game. So I I just do not. It's a, I don't have an answer. And people that I trust that you. could tell me don't have an answer. I'd like to hear your thoughts, Jeremy. <clears throat> well, I, I kept making subtle hints all week when when Coach P came out and said that Sean's going to play. <clears throat> yeah, if Sean was going to play, if he admitted that much, he was going to start. You're not. For, for the one thing, you're not going to start Michael Collins. And if Michael Collins goes out there and sets the world on fire, why, why would you even say Sean's going to play? I, I, I knew at that point – the one thing about Coach Patterson, yeah, he does like he, – he does BS sometimes, and everyone says he likes to play the mind games. But he was being honest. He'll, there's times where he's being completely honest about what he's saying, and, and, and that was one of those things where he said, hey, listen, he's going to play. I'm, I just don't know if he's going to start. That's where the mind games – came in to play with with Cliff. And I think Texas Tech even kind of knew, hey, if he's playing, he's going to start. But I, I'm going to say it, and I'm probably going to get just attacked a little bit, but I think Sean, for the most part, played about a B game, a B-minus game. Yeah, there was a, a few plays where he definitely got away with some interceptions. I mean, he, he threw some right to the Texas Tech defenders, but – Overall, I, I think, and I mentioned this on the board, if you had told me that Sean throws for 290 and and rushes for, I think he had over 50, and throws for two touchdowns, I would have said, yeah, TCU wins. TCU wins that game because they're going to run for 200 yards easy on Tech's defense. So I, I think for the most part, everyone's going it, to – it's easy to remember Sean's bad plays, but – Sean had some good plays in that game too, and I think when when they're when they're playing that game and when it's that close, I think at the time they felt that their best chance to win was with Sean. Um, love him or hate him, the coaches coaches are making that decision, and uh, to me, I felt that they were right. Um, if there was a situ- if there was a time in the game where 
I thought Michael could have came in. It it definitely would have been in the first half when you're when you're struggling. But if you watched, like I mentioned earlier, they they drove down the field through the interception off the tip pass, uh, and then mm-hmm. then you had another uh, drive where Shaywo fumbled, and <clears throat> you're you're easily talking about a game that could have been twenty one to three. And so when when you look at that, when when you're when you're throwing the football, it's not Sean's fault. And, and, you know, people are going to say, well, yeah, the, the ball wasn't perfect. Artavius Lynn, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the old school guy. If a receiver gets two hands on the ball, he better catch it. I don't care where the ball's at. Yes. If it's behind you, if you get two hands on the ball, catch the ball. That's, that's on the receiver. Okay. Yeah. It's a difficult catch, but catch the ball. And then he can't control Shaywo fumbling it. I mean, that's, that's out of Sean's hands. So, and if you look at the first half stats, he, he was, he was pretty good in the first half. He was pretty good, so I think it was that at that point where they they decided, okay, he's he's not the one that's killing us. There wasn't there wasn't a play in that game where he made until you look at the very last play where it was his fault that they didn't score. And just go back and watch and 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 watch that. And there's a lot of ifs and buts in football. Yeah, those, like I said earlier, those those two passes he threw to Texas Tech. Yeah, they could have been intercepted, but they weren't. And again, he's one of those guys that has an up and down. You got to take the ups. If you get the ups with Sean, you got to be able to accept the downs right now as he's continuing to grow as a quarterback. And I think that's I think the the mentality on TCU's bench was was probably that that it's not him. It's it's not because of him that we're losing this football game or that we're that we're not moving the football. Uh, and that's that's what I think the the decision's going to be moving forward. If if they don't feel that he's the one that's causing them to lose the ball game, he's going to be out there. Now I will say this: had he thrown those interceptions and Texas Tech hauls those things in, Michael Collins would have been out there. I, I truly do think Michael Collins would have been out there. Yeah, that's that's a tough call because putting it right in the into the hands of the DB and the DB proven why he's a DB and not a wide receiver. I don't think, I don't know that that should get you off the hook, you know, putting the ball in the wrong spot just because the DB is not good enough to, to haul it in. Doesn't mean that he didn't make a poor choice that was worthy of a change. So I, 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 I wish we would have seen Michael Collins in this game because I, I'm going to go ahead and grade him a C, uh, Sean a C in this game uh, and probably a B minus for the whole season so far. In some ways, as I'm sitting here, it reminds me of Trevon Boykin 2012, not 2013, but 2012, which is, you know what he's capable of. You know, I'll, I'll always remember Trevon yeah. Boykin 2012 at Baylor. I mean, like, talk about a stud on display. You know, ramming that guy down at the, at, the, at the pylon to get into the end zone, using his big body, using his legs, connecting deep, utilizing the run game. I love that. But you also had... Trevon Boykin that was just not able to do much and um, his limitations were on display as well as his strengths and you knew that there was something there to work with but you just kind of had to stomach it I think the problem is all of this just stands in contrast to what he did against the number two team in the country you know just of what they did against the number two team in the country so that that that's the struggle that I feel about assessing Sean right now and I'm not calling for him to be benched 
But I am going to agree with what Coach Patterson said after the Iowa State game. I want to see Michael Collins in rotation just for the sake of what it takes to play in the Big 12, which is you got you have to have two quarterbacks that can do something with the ball in their hands. And you, when you're essentially always running the 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 not the two minute offense, but the three and a half minute offense, you you have to have quarterbacks that know how to do that. So I'd like to see Sonny. I'd like to see Sonny get Michael Collins out there just for the sake of, of, uh, of depth as much as let's see what he can do. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to join the chorus of people that think that the back of a quarterback is the most popular man on campus, but I will say, I think it would be um, best for the offense to see what Michael Collins could do uh, strategically, you know, that he's going to have a planned series. He's going to have scripted plays and they're going to be able to utilize him in, in those situations just to get some, just to get his, uh, feet underneath him because I don't want him to learn how to play quarterback in the third quarter of a tight game against Oklahoma. That that's that that's my frustration of where of where we are with our quarterback play right now. Oh. You know once uh Michael comes in there's gonna be a chorus of cheers. Oh I know. People are <laughs> that I my I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I get accused of being soft or being too much of a homer or just oh trust the coaches or whatever. But I I guess what I will say is I have an internal uh, in- intensity and insanity about this sport and this team that I love with all my heart, but just the, the this is not the NFL. Like I can tell you that I, I think Jerry Jones is a useless human being and a terrible owner, and Jason Garrett should have been fired two years ago, and that I don't think Dak, Dak Prescott's going to uh, get the Cowboys back to the Super Bowl at all. Like I can't stand like that whole thing. I have no problem just bad mouthing those people because they're professionals. But just the booing of a backup, I mean, of a quarterback or cheering for the backup, you know, booing the quarterback, che- calling for the backup because you know he's got to be ten times better, and cheering when he goes in. I that's the part where I draw a line. You know, I, I guess I guess I did pick that up from our friend Wes Phelan at Killer Frogs, which is these are teenagers, these are student athletes. You can be in, you can be intense and insane and not belittle. And I feel like they're, I feel like we're kind of coming close to the line of belittle, and I don't like that. I don't like that. So that that's that's the struggle that I feel. I I, I think I'm not alone in that, but maybe maybe I'm the outlier. So, <sighs> Daniel, do you have anything that you want to throw in about where we're at so far this season? We're gonna we're gonna transition here and talk about some massive roster and recruiting changes in the last couple of weeks. Um. Well, since things seem to just continually get worse, I think what you were talking about with how Michael Collins is going to have to learn how to play football in the third quarter against Oklahoma, that's probably going to happen now. Oh, so <laughs> Jink. Uh, blame me. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm a, I'm a tight game. I did add that caveat. I did add that caveat. <laughs> so we'll see. Nana. After watching Jet Duffy run that 38-yarder for a score last week, all I get is visions of Kyler Murray running another long one like he did against Texas oh my gosh. two weeks ago. We're going to get to that in a second, unfortunately. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, before we transition, we want to thank our sponsor, Team Life, that has been supporting the Frogcast since the beginning of this season. We've talked a lot about what they're, some of the resources that they offer, but I want to make a strong pitch, especially to all of our well-heeled TCU alumni and fans that listen to the Frogcast. Now would be a good time to consider making an end-of-the-year financial donation or volunteer to Teen Life. You can go online to teenlife.ngo or email them at info info at teenlife.ngo. This is a great opportunity to invest with your checkbook, 
and with your calendar into students in Fort Worth, right there in our community, right there at Pasco, right there next to TCU, so that you can provide for them opportunities and guidance to make good choices with their life so that they're able to do something significant and right there in this community that we love very much. One of the things I'm really excited that they do is they work with middle school and high school students in an eight-week curriculum that empowers students with life skills and encourages them to focus on their future so that it can be better. Again, go to teamlife.ngo and they'll help you figure out how to make a donation or how to volunteer. And I just am a big fan of what these guys do. And I want to thank Jeff McCain, the one of the faithful Frogcast listeners that helps set this up and is, is a critical member of their board. So thanks so much for that to Team Life and to Jeff McCain. Well, Jeremy, we've had some changes um, on the commitment list and on the roster. So let's go ahead and look at some of the, the roster changes as well as uh, read between the lines of tea leaves of guys that haven't played or maybe considering other uh, elsewhere that they might be heading, especially with this new redshirt rule. Number one, officially, Kennedy Snell has left the program. He is transferring and he will be moving on. Give us a little insight into this. He was one of the one-two punch out of Waxahachie last year that came on. First game of the season, he got that big highlight that was all over the internet, all over ESPN of that massive uh, jet sweep that he took from one side of the field to the other and then got into the end zone. What happened? No, I was against Jackson against State. Against Jackson State. Excuse me, against Jackson State. First game of the season. <laughs> that's, State, that's, yes. that's the thing that – that's the thing that everyone remembers. I mean, everyone remembers the explosiveness and everything else. And the the thing with Kennedy this year is he was battling a hamstring and and wasn't completely healthy. And the idea was to go ahead and redshirt him. I mean, he played as a true freshman last year. He didn't have this rule where uh, they could play four games and still get a redshirt. He he played minimal uh, games last year and, and, and basically got his redshirt taken away. So he had an opportunity uh, with with him only playing in that first game this year to to rest up the hamstring and and, and take a red shirt, but another another issue was is that Tay Barber was playing in front of him and and Kennedy just didn't work as hard as Tay did uh, in the spring and 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 really uh, they they told him during the off season before Tay Barber was even on campus, hey, you need to work on your hands, you need to get uh, we need to get you more involved, but this is going to be partly on you. We've got to be able to throw you the football. You've got to be able to catch. And that's one thing that apparently he didn't really uh, take a hold of. And, and uh, Tay Barber came in. And I think once you started hearing Coach P talk about Tay Barber, every other practice report from the spring, you knew that Tay was going to have a, a chance to have an immediate impact. But it's one of those deals where Kennedy, uh, he basically just stopped going to practice. I can't remember what game it was, but uh, I think I mentioned it last week, basically a week before he he came out and and said anything. But at that point, he wasn't even he wasn't even going to practice. And I think it was what game? It was the Iowa State game that he wasn't even on the sidelines. And it was that Tuesday before the Iowa State game that he just stopped going to practice. And and so the tea leaves were be- definitely uh, being read and and. I think he's going to end up somewhere probably like an SMU or UNT, somewhere like that, uh, where he's going to have a chance to, to see the field sooner. But it to, to me, I, I'm not going to discredit a kid. I, you know, Kennedy was a good kid. And, and always had a, a good time talking with him. But as far as a uh, an impact for TCU's offense, it's not going to hurt him. They've got guys just like him that are the same type of players, Tay Barber being one, Darius Davis being another one. And, and and those guys are going to be able to, to take those uh, roles as slot players and, and be 
uh, weapons in this offense. But yeah, that's that was uh, kind of expected. I think once everyone saw that he wasn't playing, that he was going to be one of those guys. Another guy there's a lot of questions about, and I haven't seen anything formal about this. Is Gary Overshone still with the program? Is he anticipating a transfer? What what can you update fans with about where well, he's I at? Think, Defensive end. Yeah, yeah, nothing is official yet, but he's another one of those guys. Uh, when when I was told about Kennedy, to keep an eye on Gary too, and and when I was down uh, on the field Thursday, Gary wasn't even out there. I I, I didn't see Gary anywhere on, on the field before the game, and <coughs> excuse me, obviously during the game, but it's just one of those positions where he is heavily buried on the depth chart. He's probably fourth or fifth, maybe even sixth. And probably has he he definitely has a ton of guys playing before him, and probably in his best interest if if he would go to a different program because he would obviously see more playing time. And he was a guy that was kind of always a project player. He he needed to add some strength to his lower lower body, and I, I really don't think he was able to do that in the years he was on campus. I mean, physically, upper body strength was there, but I, I think. Uh, obviously, when when other guys came in and, and started to beat them out, then it was it was kind of apparent that okay, well they they might have they might have been reaching for him when they recruited him. So, it, it, and I'm not I'm not trying to talk bad about him, but I'm just trying to give examples of why if he does if it does end up that he that he leaves, then then I can understand why. But uh, right now, nothing's official on it. It's just speculation. But I but I can say that. He was definitely not at the game on Saturday or Thursday against Texas Tech. He he was out of Mesquite. What school did he go to in Mesquite? Do you remember Mesquite, off the top? Mesquite Horn. Mesquite Horn. Mesquite Horn. I remember yeah. watching some of his highlights, and he clearly had um, skills, and it was it was raw, but he had some ability. But it seems like his body looks like it did his senior year in high school. Like the the yeah. weight that you're able to put on a lot of those lean defensive ends, it just it just never it never took. And it, it's probably not from lack of being in the weight room that just, you know, the way the way God made your body and what you can put onto it has some some limitations that you might not be able to do a whole lot about. Sure. But it seemed like that that was his frame wasn't able to fill out regardless of how many years he was with the program and had how much time he put into the, into the strength and conditioning program. So, you know, I hate transfers because, you know, and, you know, you, you, you want the best for everybody, especially when you follow these guys in high school, you know, how excited they are to commit. You, you just have anticipations, you know, just have visions and anticipated it's gonna be an all all big 12 defensive end and sometimes it just doesn't work out that way so we we wish gary the best if that's what he's gonna do and move on so is there anybody else you know not to just like rehash message board rumors but i i knew about you know obviously kennedy was public most people had reported that overshone wasn't on the field for the tech game but is there anybody else that uh that you could fill us in on that that might be uh having an eye somewhere else especially with this new redshirt rule uh, not that I recall, not not that I know of right now. Um, it's it, it it's probably going to be one, once the season goes on more than then you'll see some guys that obviously aren't getting playing time, and um, I it, it would probably come from the guys that are sophomores or juniors right now. I, I don't think I don't anticipate too many of the the true freshmen that aren't playing yet to to be any of those guys. Uh, I mean, it, it would be crazy for them to do that unless TCU's kind of telling them, hey, you might want to look somewhere else, um, which I don't think they would necessarily do that. But no, not, not, any, not any other names that, that I'm aware of right now. You know, I can't say before because the, the, other, the other name um, 
Oh, funny story. First off, funny story. I, I want to share this with you because you were talking about Gary Overshone and, and uh, Jeremiah was, t- I was talking to him the other day and he told me at one of the camps that uh, we were at over the summer that he was talking to Ken Seals. Everyone knows who Ken, Ken is. And so they, they were talking to each other and uh, Jeremiah was pointing out some of the TCU players and he said, uh, man, that, that receiver right there, he's pretty good looking. And he was talking about Gary Overshone. So, <laughs> um, but I, the other name, I, I, I know some people have, have kind of questioned what happened to Brandon Bowen. Brandon, Brandon has uh, got himself hurt again. I think he's having some back issues. I, I don't know how much um, he's going to be playing uh, the rest of the season. I, I, I really don't know. Um, oh. But that would be – that's that's the only like there's I've had several people message me if he's going to be a guy that's going to leave and I have not heard anything about that um but but I just know that uh, for 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 those guys that are asking why hasn't Brandon been playing he's he's kind of banged up right now I just want to give a a, a word of invitation here if you are a a three or four star junior college defensive end and you're listening to this podcast which I'm sure there's hundreds of them are we would love to have your recruiting information send us your huddle tape we'd love to take a look (laughs) at it because we are so thin I, I don't have any eligibility left it went out last semester but we are in the hunt for some guys that could come in and rush the quarterback worked out all right last the uh juco dn we got with matt boson so we, we really could use a pass rushing DN here at TC. Or if you want to transfer from uh, University of Louisiana Monroe, we would welcome you. It worked out well for us last time on that. Well, I'll tell uh, you, defensive end is the, the top priority right now. Yeah, it is. I, I, and I linebacker. Know- I want I want to add this uh, piece about the redshirt rule because I think it's really misunderstood by people. It really was designed for kids to see the field four and a half years. It really doesn't have a whole lot to do with uh, with rec- I mean, with playing if you start playing your freshman year in terms of what you do when you transfer. So you know Kennedy Snell played in 2017. And then he played in 2018, and even though if he, it doesn't matter whether he takes a red shirt or not this year, because he's going to have to sit out next season, and, and, and that transfer element is still in place. So he only has two more years to play. If he goes to UNT, he's not going to see the field until 2020 and 2021, and those are his last two years. So he'll have two full seasons at the school he transfers to. So I, I, you know, I'm not saying this about him or or Gary or anybody else, but I think sometimes these transfer rules kind of get hyped up. And I, I know that the compliance office is probably doing their job and making it clear to people, but you don't get that year back. You, you, you don't get that year back. So what was question? Someone ahead, was Daniel. saying today. Oh, go ahead, Daniel. Well, um, is there a limit on how many times you can transfer, or is that just until your eligibility runs out? Like, say Michael Collins because he transferred in from Penn. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, like, he doesn't get any playing time here. Is he going to want to go somewhere else? But eventually, if you keep having to sit out a year, it just burns it up, and you don't do anything, right? Yeah. I mean, there's there's been – I mean, one of the linebackers TCU's looking at right now, he was a dual-threat quarterback in high school, signed with Cal, and didn't play as a freshman – didn't play during his redshirt freshman so uh, season, so he decided to transfer to Riverside Community College, played there, got recruited to Minnesota, didn't get a play, uh, chance to play at Minnesota, so he transferred back to Riverside. Now he's playing linebacker, and – he's getting recruited by a few schools, including TCU and, and TCU, wherever he goes next, that will be his, that will be 
essentially the fourth school he's been to. Tyler Matthews was at TCU, and then he went to Southern mm-hmm. Miss, and then didn't he go to New Mexico State? New Mexico State. That's yep, right. Sure I mean, did. he was yeah. – the the hard rule is you can transfer as much as you want, but you have four – you have five years to play four, and mm-hmm. that's that's what it is. And then – so this is this is where John DeArce is brilliant. He enrolled early, redshirted, got his degree as soon as he could, and then he transferred and had two years to play. And so yeah. – it's the it's the limit of you have your the minute you enroll in a Division one school you're or or, or 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 JUCO you're on the clock you have five years to get you have five years to comp- to play four years so mm-hmm. that's the way that that the, that that timing you can you can transfer everywhere if year if you want if somebody's dumb enough to take you but you only yeah. have five years to play four. Someone was saying today because we were talking about this and someone was saying since Kennedy didn't play his four his four games that he would not have to sit out next year that he would be immediately eligible next I am season. 99.9% sure that is not true we need because, we need to do our research on this so so put out a flyer jeff and yeah get get our researchers you know we pay those guys for something i mean let's yes. get them to do something well the reason and, i'm uh, 99.9% sure that's the case is because I remember when Kelly Bryant announced that he was transferring from Clemson and everybody said, oh my gosh, he's going to go to Arkansas where Chad Morris is who had recruited him and they're going to really begin to take a step next year. And everybody's response is, well, they won't get to take a, I mean, the, the people in the know, the, the, the national sports writers that actually obsess yeah. about this stuff, uh, they, they, they said, no, he cannot play next year. That is the, that is the misnomer about the redshirt rule. It's designed to get kids reps and special teams and late year fill in and not burn a red shirt. It's the, it's Mason Rudolph, 2014. He came in and played the last three games of the year and then played in the bowl game. And he played four year, four games and he burned his red shirt, got, got Oklahoma state to a bowl one bedlam, but he would have, he would have had another year to play. He could still be playing college football. If that rule had been in place in 2014, that's the way that somebody summarized it for me in a story. So speaking of red shirts, do you guys, uh, have any interest in knowing who has burned their red shirts for the 2018 class? Dude, I was thinking about that this morning and laying in bed. Go for it. No, I wasn't. But yes, I would like to know. <laughs> <laughs> I did a story on it a couple weeks ago after after the after the uh, what game was it? Iowa State, no Texas. After the Texas game, uh, so Barber's done. He's got six games under his belt. Yeah. Then you also have um, Trayvon Morg Woodward that has six games under his belt. Uh, Darius Davis is right there on the he's, – he's four games. Uh, ben Wilson has burned his red shirt. He's got five games now. <clears throat> Amari, uh, he's, he's played uh, six games. So even though he's a sophomore, he's, he's burned his – he didn't have a red shirt, so his red shirt's gone. Um, let's see. Well, he still has a red shirt, but he can't red shirt this year, in other words. Uh, and really, basically, the rest of the class is is four games or less right now, and so it, it looks like it, if as long as they don't play Tavalence Hunt and John Stevens a lot going down uh, the stretch here, then most of the class is gonna most of the class is gonna be able to have a red shirt this year. And I think I think Tavalence Hunt and John Stevens, from from what I've gathered now, this isn't my own. This isn't me making up things. Okay. So stop what you're doing and listen closely. Okay. This is not this is not me making up things. Okay? For you guys that say I like to make up things. 
I am telling you what I've heard. And what I've heard is Tavalence Hunt and John Stevens may have more of an expanded role. Now, I'm going to be in the boat that is going to say, I will believe it when I see it, but just passing that along to you guys. So in case it does happen, you know, I at least informed you and I'd heard about it. So there. Play sad music. (laughs) Play sad music. All right. All right. I found the article. I was, I was not paying attention to what you said and I found the article on it. Uh, It counts as a red shirt, but it will still cost you a year of eligibility. The NCAA requires players to use their four, uh, four eligible seasons within five calendar years of first enrolling somewhere. When they send out a year, that clock keeps running. So they run the risk of losing eligibility if they get hurt or transfer. So, you know, the thing with uh, Kennedy, though, is since he doesn't have – he's <clears throat> he didn't play over the, the, the four games. So, wherever he goes, he'll still have three years of eligibility left. No, he won't because he has to sit out next season. It's the Kenny Hill. It's Kenny Hill. Kenny Hill – I mean, I know they have the – but the new rule doesn't seem to <coughs> take away – this. the new rule doesn't expand your eligibility. It just means you get to play four games and it not count towards your season. It, but but you're still on the clock to get four in during five. And, and Kennedy Snell has played – the minute he enrolled, he's on, he's on the clock to where 2021 is his last season, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. He will not be able to play college football after 2021 – I mean, right. after 2021, and he still has to sit out next year. So he basically goes two years without playing a down. Yes. I need our researchers to handle I know. this. I know. It's real And I crazy. could still be wrong. So, well, uh, that was what I just read so, off. So of all of you guys listening right now, if you, if you have an interpretation on this rule, mm-hmm. please let us know. Yeah. That's that is correct. That is correct. We need your help. All right, we had some decommitments. Uh, man, let's just start at the top. Myron Warren out of Louisiana, our player from the boot, defensive end, where we need depth so badly. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeremy, tell us a little bit about big his loss. decommitment and uh, where he's likely headed. They're big loss. I mean, there's there's no other explanation for it. I mean, that's that's a guy that um, they they knew were, they were going to have uh, a hard time keeping on board just because he was having a pretty good senior season. More teams are coming in. Obviously Texas has come in and offered Tennessee has offered. He's going to keep getting more uh, attention from sec programs. <clears throat> I, I know some people have crystal balled him to Texas. I, I, I think that's the, the pretty offer right now. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, Myron, Myron's going to do what Myron's going to do. Um, but I mean, I mean, as, as far as from a, a TCU perspective, he he wants to say that he still got TCU under consideration, but I, I truly don't think that's the case. I, I think he's. I think when you decommit, you move on for a reason, and uh, you know, it, for TCU, it's it's a big loss. Like you said, it's a it's a big position need, and and that was a guy that they really liked. Yeah, that was a, that was a difficult loss. So he had, he had made he made an official visit to Texas, or was it unofficial? It's probably official. I, I okay. don't know. I mean, once once he once these kids decommit, I kind of lose track of what they do. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that that's a that's a very difficult uh, very difficult loss, especially at a play as a point of need. And 
I love getting kids out of Louisiana, especially big guys out of Louisiana. So that's a tough loss. But you stack on top of that another tough loss that happened this evening, about an hour before we recorded. Kennedy Lewis, uh, wide receiver that the Frogs had locked down this summer. It looks like he also had made a visit to Texas, and he also has decommitted. And I'm choosing to not respect his decision. I am just wanted to kind of get that <laughs> out there. Um uh, he he didn't give all glory to God, and he didn't ask for no interviews. So I assume True. he's an he's an extroverted atheist. Um, I I just don't quite know what to make of that. So tell us a little bit. I mean, let, let, I, people always say this when a kid decommits. Well, he had a bad senior year, or the frogs were okay with letting him go, or you know, Tom Herman's letting Gary Patterson do his evaluations for him. What what's your assessment about how all of this happened, as well as your um, evaluation of Lewis, especially halfway through his senior season? Well, first off, I, I thought Kennedy was, you know, during the camp season, he looked he looked pretty good. I will say at the camp that I was at, it was it was easy to look pretty good because they didn't have a ton of great looking receivers there. He does pass the eyeball test and he's he's legit six three. He ran a, a four four two at their camp. So from that perspective, he he's a pretty good athlete. But this season he just at that competition they're playing, you would figure that he should be putting up some humongous numbers and when you have a quarterback like Brendan Lewis who's a very good 2020 quarterback unless Kennedy's getting double and triple teamed uh which he might be in some games but his season just wasn't something that was just gonna just pop out at you now when you're when you're evaluating these receivers and and you're hearing things that uh you know, some, some things that really don't ever go to print or, or on airwaves for TCU when, when, when they, when there's, there's discussion about how your offense is looking and, and we're going to keep looking at other schools and this and that TCU is not in the, not where they have to, Oh, you want to go see other schools? Just go ahead. We'll, we'll go ahead and be okay with that. And uh, you just go visit as many schools as you want. We'll be right here waiting for you. That's they're not going to do that anymore. This is Big Twelve. They're recruiting with big boys now. You're gonna you're gonna play with fire. You're gonna get burned, and that's one of the things that they they uh, the family told TCU. Hey, we're gonna go visit Texas. Okay, go go ahead and go down there. And they knew the decommitment was they knew the decommitment was coming. They knew it. But once wow. once once kids and families make that choice, it's it, and, and before you guys start. Well, why didn't they do something to stop it? Why didn't they? Why ain't they trying to keep it? Why ain't they fighting? Sometimes when the writing's on the wall, the the writing's on the wall. You can't do anything about it. And I think Kennedy had his decision uh, made long before um, he ever considered visiting Texas. I think there's there's obviously uh, you know, he he liked TCU. I know he had a, a good relationship with the coaches up there because I've seen him interact with them. Um, but for for some for some kids, it's it's you know, you want to you want to go to uh, a different place if you if you feel that maybe you won't be utilized the right way. And um, TCU had kind of backed off a little bit; probably wasn't showing him as much love. They have another couple of receivers that they like a little bit better than than what Kennedy is right now. And uh, one of them being Nathaniel Bill out of uh, Jake Jesuit down in Houston that's committed to Iowa State, and I and I wrote about him last night, and that's. You, you, you take away a guy that's 6'3", and you replace him with a 6'5", 205-pound guy. And 
when you when you talk about that kind of size and you're talking about throwing up jump balls, that's that's what you need in this offense. You you want to have a big target like that, and and, and that's why you, you hopefully hopefully see them use John Stevens a little bit more down the stretch um, in in the final uh, six games of the year. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't think uh, for 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 the frogs and 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 the the coaching staff and and the fans, I, I don't think you should be losing any sleep over over uh, losing Kennedy um, because they'll they'll be fine. They'll they'll find another guy and and uh, plug them in. Well, let's uh, get even more depressed because we're only halfway through. Uh, William Jones decommitted, and this is not the worst news. Is this correct? Yes. Anything else you want to add to that? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> for you guys that follow I don't want to just say closely, talk about it, but you can say this and I can't, so go for it. No, I mean, for you guys that follow recruiting very closely – if you follow my camp updates or, or, or posts that I make during some of these these camps that they have, I mentioned a long time ago. Hey, just so you guys know, there was there was a guy here that they that did not perform well, and it would not surprise me at all if they ended up dropping him. And you know that and, and what you what you go by you know again people are going to argue well how can you just evaluate from a camp you offered him and then you go he gets to a camp and what what happened and he he's better in pads this and that well when you see a guy consistently get beat by no name receivers it raises an eyebrow and and when you see that he struggles over and over and over and over again it's going to continue to raise eyebrows and then when you already get when you already got that feeling that man, he is, he is, uh, he might not be worth the take. Then he goes down and sees other schools. You've had your mind made up for you. Yeah. So that, that was the case. I mean, he, he visited some other schools and TCU does a good job as far as, uh, you know, just keeping them in line and telling them, Hey, you do this, then, then understand this is my, this is what ha- what happens. I mean, they're like I said, they're not they're not losing sleep over oh you go visit however many schools you want. We'll be right here waiting for you. They're not in that they're not in that boat anymore, fellas. No, I mean it's it's they're not. So, um, kind of uh, one of those deals. Like I said on the board, it's l- the same situation with Tejon Henry last year. It's it's, it's uh, one of those uh, positions that they kind of uh, could afford to let him look around if you know what I mean. So it was a mutual decision. And uh, <laughs> like I said, that the, the TCU fans shouldn't lose any sleep on it. And, and part of the reason why guys, I, I, I say this uh, and I tell you guys in the broadcast and, and I mentioned, Hey, there could be a decommitment coming is to soften the blow. Okay. If, if you're caught off guard, and, and, and you have no idea, it's going to be a big blow. But the reason why I post this stuff is to hopefully help you guys understand if I know a decommit's coming, it's it's probably for a, a pretty good reason that it, it, it's, it's not going to hurt TCU as much as you think it's going to, to hurt them. So just keep that in mind before you think the sky is falling when, when all these guys are, are, are decommitting. Just – just worry about the ones you get right now. Don't worry about the ones you don't get. Well, let's get, I, I respect his decision. I just kind of want to go on the record. I do. 
I do respect his decision. It seems as if that was for the good of the good of the cause for him to step away. And I wish Kennedy but, best of luck, man. I mean, he's like I said, he's a no, good I do kid. Too. He's I do a good too. kid. And I I hate it I hate it for TCU from the perspective that he's he's a good kid, and I think I think he is going to be good um, for Texas. Now, for for me personally, I I, I would have. Uh, uh, I would have liked to have seen him in a TCU uniform because I've seen him at seen him at uh, a camp setting. But um, again, you got to trust the coaches' evaluations on some of these things. And if if they don't feel like it's going to be a big loss to them, then then you know TCU fans should kind of feel the same way. Well, let's touch on a delicate subject here. I don't know how much you can talk about this, but I'm going to ask you. Um, Tamazi Brown out of Newton, obviously a highly re- valued recruit from the Newton three. Are we down to Newton two? He is, uh, it's, it's on the internet, so it's true, but it seems as if it's pretty well documented. He is no longer enrolled at Newton high school. He is obviously no longer on the, on the football team. Uh, huge loss for Newton, obviously. Uh, is there any hope of him ending up at TCU in this, uh, if for in, in the 2019 class, and do you know? I mean, I don't want to gossip about a teenage student here. Do you know if there's if there was any cause of this that would prevent him from enrolling at a Division One school right away? Well, I I don't know exactly what happened to be honest with you. And to use the same line of uh, Coach Patterson, I wouldn't tell you anyway, Jeff. Okay, no, I'm just kidding, man. I, I, I honestly, no, no, I, I, I know. Honestly, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to gossip. <laughs> but this is obviously a highly valued recruit. This no, no. To to be completely is, honest, I I, I really the, don't know what happened. I really don't okay. know. Um, and, and I do know moving forward, it, you know, for me personally, my personal opinion, and, and this isn't, this isn't anything that uh, I've been told or, or, or I'm hearing, this is just my, my personal opinion here. Uh, I don't feel if, if he, if he doesn't come back to school and if he doesn't play football, I would find it very, very hard um, to believe that Tishy would still take him. Yeah. And, and I don't know, if it's something that he did or if it's something that he just doesn't want to be a part of Newton, it's whichever way you spin it, there seems to be some kind of, some kind of issue there, some kind of character issue, Um, whether he's been kicked out or if he's decided, well, I'm not going to go to Newton or I'm not going to play for these coaches that raises a red flag with uh, college coaches, believe it or not. Oh, I assume it does. I assume it does because I bet half their job is people management. I mean, oh, we, absolutely. we talk a lot about X's and O's and, you know, depth charts, but if you're, there's, there's a correlation between your ability and how much of a knucklehead factor they want to put up with. And at some point, even no matter how good you are, if the knucklehead is way too big, you're just, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. All right. I found it. So I want to answer this for us. Regard, this is quote, regardless of the new four year red shirt rule, FBS football athletes who transfer to another FBS school will still sit out a year at their new school, unless they qualify for the standard exemptions, graduate uh, waiver or family health issues. So if uh, Kennedy Snell is not playing next year, Brian, uh, Brian, Kelly Bryan is not playing next year. So I found that in writing on on a reputable website. So I just wanted to make sure everybody kind of knew that. The Drudge so, Report? No, no, I got okay. it off of off of InfoWars. InfoWars, okay. Yes, Perfect. I got it. I got it <laughs> off of InfoWars. Uh, so that's that's what I'm – actually, I got it off my church's website. So um, <laughs> Y'all have a college football blog on there too? Yeah. You know, I'm actually recording this in my office at church. So, um, 
so that's basically yes we do <laughs> we actually awesome. do you know on my little bio on the church page it does have I, it does say a whole lot more about my commitment to officiating football and covering tcu than it does about my commitment to the gospel so i'll just kind of let people interpret that as they <laughs> wish so, uh oklahoma we have uh, we're an hour and eight minutes into this podcast and we really haven't said anything about oklahoma other than kyler murray is going to run crazy all over us Oh, man. Daniel, let's give Jeremy a break here. What are your thoughts on the Sooners coming to town? Because historically, it's going to suck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot's happened since uh, the last time they took a field. They they finally got rid of that nepotism law up there north of the Red River. Mike Stoops got fired. Uh, They got Bob Diaco and uh, Ruffin McNeil running their defense. Are we going to do anything, or is it just going to suck? It's just going to suck because um, no matter no matter how bad Mark Stoops was and how this might this little wrinkle might affect their defense uh, in any way, it doesn't matter because the offense will destroy themselves. And um, so, really, this is going to be um, Kyler Murray versus our defense, and then we go out. Um, probably turn it over every time, and it's going to be six thousand to seven. Man, Daniel has gone way away from the days of predicting fifty-six to fourteen. Hasn't he? <laughs> I know. Holy smokes! I'm, I'm going to do my best impersonation off of Silicon Valley. What if I told you there was an app? No. <laughs> what if I told you the TCU offense had to get in a shootout with Kyler Murray, who was having a better statistical season than Baker Mayfield. What if I told you that? Would you be okay with that? It's going to (laughs) suck. Hey, Daniel, you know, your, your prediction was, was 56 to 14. You you think you tone it down a little bit. You really think they're going to win by that much? Oh yeah. 42 to 14 is how much they're going to win by now. (laughs) Now he's saying they're losing 6,000 to seven. (laughs) You know, I have a I have a good friend of mine that wrote me, and he said I'm I'm only about halfway through the podcast, and I had to pause. It was a couple of weeks ago, and I had to pause it after uh, Daniel made his prediction of four and eight, and I don't know if I want to go back and listen anymore. <laughs> oh man, I know. Hey, that's looking to be true. I know you were. I couldn't tell if you were serious or not then, but now you look like a prophet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I not even sold on beating Kansas at this point. Oh, them's fighting words. Oh yeah. Well, here's here's what I think about Oklahoma, and we have a lot to we have a lot that we can get into with the Sooners. Uh, until last season, every game that TCU had played against Oklahoma in the Big Twelve had been a dogfight. Even even in 2013, when the Frogs were bad and they went to Norman and put up a big fight. Even in 2016, where it came down to a one score game, and you know they had the intentional grounding that Bob Stutes was able to get because of Big Twelve refs. I every game had been a essentially a one score game or or the last play game a game that came down to the last play except for last season where Mayfield was able to just you know have his way with the TC, which was a pretty against a pretty good TCU defense both in the regular season game as as well as in the Big Twelve title game. I think this game is going to kind of revert to the mean, but I just don't see any way that the Frogs are going to be able to win a shootout against Oklahoma. I don't care how bad their defense was. I don't care that Bob Diaco got fired from both UConn and Nebraska because of just total incompetency. There's no way that I think the Frogs are going to be able to win a shootout with Oklahoma. That said, 
I think they're going to get their best shot. I think that they're going to be able to put up some points. I think they're probably going to put up uh, 31 points. I think the Frogs are going to be able to put up 31 points, but being able to hold Oklahoma under 45 just it just looks like it, almost impossible. I mean, unless unless we adopt the triple option yeah. and they get four possessions a game, I just don't see any way that they're going to be able to shut down Oklahoma in enough you know in a way that they're able to then shut them down and completely maximize every single offensive opportunity that they get. Which I, I haven't seen anything that can convince me that can happen. That said, I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. Uh, uh, you know the way we've been talking this this podcast. And uh, talking about TCU's defense and, and how they've kept them in games, this is going to be – and how bad the offense has looked. This is going to be one of those games, fellas, that TCU's offense shows a pulse, uh, holding on to the football, Sean making great decisions, and the offensive line creating some uh, running lanes. They're, like you said, Jeff, I could see them scoring a lot of points, but this might be the game where – all hell breaks loose on the defense. You've you've got this uh, great defense where you 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 keep bending, bending, but you don't break. And this could be this could be the game where, hey, there's our offense, but oh man, our defense just gave up 40 points. I could see that type of game happening where it's where it's like a uh, a 40 to 35 type game or 45 31. I could realistically see that happening um, with this game. I but. As you mentioned, I mean, Kyler's putting better yards up than Baker, and, and Baker gave them all kinds of hell last year. And as we saw last week with Jet Duffy uh, being a good running quarterback, it, there, there's he's Kyler's going to present some problems. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna have to, and I know I'm one of the the biggest advocates. While you're only rushing three, you're giving them all day to throw. And when you have Hollywood Brown and C.D. Lamb to throw to, two of the better receivers. Uh, and a great offensive line. It's it's going to be the toughest test for the defense all year long. And uh, you know, I, I I hate to say it, but it's probably going to be one of those games where the offense finally puts it together a little bit, and everyone's going to be gripping and moaning about the defensive play. I think you're probably correct. I think you're probably correct. But we'll find out if this is an 11 win defense. I mean, if if that assessment is correct. Maybe this defense can put them in a spot to be able to win a game. Maybe it can put them in a spot to get the opportunity to be able to win the game. Uh, you know, we're going to say this all season. We saw what they were able to do against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. We saw what they actually did when they didn't hand them the ball in the red zone or turn the ball over to get returned for a touchdown against Ohio State. And I think Oklahoma's offense is is just as good as Ohio State's. And I think that Oklahoma I, – I mean, honestly, I think if Oklahoma beats TCU, I think they're going to run the table. And I think they're going to get what might be the biggest rematch in the history of uh, of, champion, of conference title games against Texas. How crazy would it be if Texas and Oklahoma had a rematch at Jerry World in November? I'm gonna give you, I mean, in December. I'll give you the hot sports opinion right now. I don't think the Big 12 is going to be in the playoff. I think, I think the Big 12 title game is going to feature two – two lost teams in the big 12. I think that's how much parity there is right now in the big 12. Well, every single game is, I can't, I can't decide what this tells me. Like I couldn't just, I think we see, I don't know what the Iowa state game told us. I don't know what the Texas tech game told us. I don't know what Texas versus Baylor tells us other than Texas gets up for the big games and they don't know what to do with teams. They should put away. But I also don't want to diminish what Matt rule has done because those, I mean, Charlie Brewer is a baller. Let's just let's just cut. I do know that, 
But I don't know how good Baylor is. I don't know how good Texas is. I know Texas had the, you know, they beat USC, then they beat TCU, then they beat OU. That's great. But I don't. They also nearly lost to Baylor at home. And Tulsa. So I, and 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 Tulsa. Yes, and Tulsa. So I don't. I you might be right, but if there's one team I would bet on for the rest of the season, I would bet on Oklahoma. I would bet on Oklahoma. So it's a tough schedule. I think that's the, the best. I mean, there it, it is a tough because Oklahoma and West Virginia still have to play, and Texas and West they play still the- have to play, and then Texas still has to go up to Lubbock and play. I mean, love them or hate them, Cliff's Cliff's got Texas Tech doing something right, and uh, oh, he does, you know, he, he does. And you know what? Just fan aside, I think that's good for the Big Twelve. Yeah. I, I I think it's good that Texas is is competitive. Is good for the Big Twelve. I just so. I just for me personally, I know we're only six games through the season, halfway through, but. Just looking at it, and especially when you have Notre Dame playing the way they are, I just I just don't see any way the Big Twelve is going to have a representative in the playoffs this year. So mark that down on October sixteenth, um, which you guys will hear this on October seventeenth, two thousand eighteen, in the year of our Lord. That I am not predicting that that I am predicting Big Twelve will not have a representative in the playoffs. You know who else I'm predicting will not have a representative in the playoff? Who's that? The ACC. Yeah, I believe that too. I, I'm I'm not I'm not as strong as you are on the Big Twelve not making it, but I think Clemson is weak, and I think I think I can't decide who's weaker, the ACC or the Pac-12, because the ACC is garbage. Let me. Who's the second best team? Who's the second best team in the ACC? Couldn't tell you. I know Virginia Tech yeah. that lost at Old Dominion. I'm, okay, thank you. Uh, you know, Washington lost again. I don't think – I mean, Oregon, in theory, could run the table. But you know what's going to happen in the Pac-12? Some team's going to be one – you know, Oregon's going to be one loss and play like a four-loss USC team in the Pac-12 yeah. title game. And then they're going to finally figure it out and, pack, and USC's going to win the Pac-12. I don't think the Pac-12 makes it. I don't think the ACC makes it. See, with the Big 12, I, I don't think they're going to make it just because I think they're going to knock each other off. I really do. Yeah. I, I think it's – and Coach P said it last week that he doesn't think any team's going to go through conference undefeated. And when you when you look at well, the only option left is yeah, Texas. But when you when you look at this when you look at this uh, the parity in this league from um, and and I still feel that although TCU is trending downward, I still feel they're a program and a team that can beat any team on the schedule that that they have remaining. Uh, I will say that. And the fact that Baylor's playing better um, and, and, and Texas Tech's playing better, Oklahoma State's playing bad right now, but they're still a sneaky team. They could still beat you. It, 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 it would not surprise me at all if they beat someone they're not supposed to. And so that's, that's what I feel with this league. It's, it's not that I'm uh, demeaning anything about the Big 12 talent-wise and, and, and program-wise. I think they feature some of the top teams in college football. The unfortunate thing is, is they knock off they they knock each other out just by having to play each, having to play every single one of the teams in the conference. You don't get a break like some of these bigger conferences, like the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or the ACC, where you don't have to play uh, some of these some of these top schools and the SEC as well. So um, that's that's my whole philosophy behind me saying Big Twelve is not going to make it into the playoffs. Well, here's here's the low here's a game to keep an eye on if you really want to circle a date. November seventeenth in Austin. 
How would you like it if Texas is undefeated at that point and then they host Iowa State? I I think I think Texas's most likely loss between now and the end of the year is not West Virginia. I think it's Iowa State. Yeah, and if any if anybody's going to get the you know the fighting Matt Campbells will come into Austin and probably create some kind of Tom Herman crying meme because man I I would not want to play Iowa State right now. They've got everybody behind them. They've played everyone in the conference. It's tough except Texas. Yeah. They beat Oklahoma State. They, they they lost to TCU. They lost to Oklahoma. Uh, I, I think I, I would not be surprised if Iowa State, uh, you know, loses one more game in the Big yeah. 12. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that was just it. So that's going to be an interesting game. Daniel, how will you feel if Baylor ends up with a better Big 12 record than TCU? No comment. <laughs> I don't think you could handle that one. I'm not sure that I could either. I'm not sure that I could either. Well, men, we have gone an hour and 20 minutes here. This might be the longest broadcast in the history of our show, but that's okay. We uh, had a lot to talk about and a lot to get through. Anything else you guys want to share for the good of the cause before we wrap up? We'll be back Sunday night to talk a little TCU Oklahoma recap, but anything else before we let everybody go? I think think we're good. I think we're good. I think we're good. Man, I, I actually appreciate uh, everybody that's asked, hey, when's the next show going to drop? We appreciate our listeners. If you uh, listen to this show, we thank you for that. If you haven't yet, please go online and subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you get your uh, podcast, whatever podcast app you use. And go online and give us a review. It actually really does help us. We need some more. We uh, love those five-star reviews that come and let everybody know how awesome this podcast is. And if you haven't yet, what are you waiting on? Go join TCU 24-7. Go to hornfrogblitz.com. You can sign up and learn everything you want to know about uh, recruiting, what might be coming along on the recruiting front, and you would have known a lot of this stuff in terms of every single transfer and decommitment if you had already been on TCU 24-7. If you haven't joined Horn Frog Blitz, you need to go do that today. So for Daniel and for Jeremy, I'm Jeff. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast. <laughs>